Hey, it's Chris Ryan for Tell the Damn Story, and we are at Deadly Inc. Writers Conference in Central Jersey, and I'm here with A.J. Sidransky, author. Uh, A.J., thanks for sitting with us. Well, thank you for asking me to participate. I appreciate it. Uh, you are uh, a writer of... I write mysteries, but my work has been described primarily as a mystery wrapped in a history wrapped in a love story. <laughs> okay. Could you tell us some of the titles? I have three books in print, uh, Forgiving Maximo Rothman, Forgiving Mariella Camacho, and Stealing a Summer's Afternoon. Forgiving Mar uh, Maximo Rothman and Forgiving Mariella Camacho are the first two of a series that feature uh, a detective duo uh, that's based in Washington Heights, and, in, and the story also takes, takes them to the Dominican Republic. Okay. Um, now, you, you, your background is you're from, you grew up where? Well, I'm originally from the Bronx, mm -hmm. and then yeah, from Queens. Homeboys. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then from Queens. Lifelong Yankees fan, there still go. go regularly, you, you go. know, and I'm only 12 minutes by train. Uh, I was just telling somebody at lunch that I live actually less than two miles from where I was born, which is wow. a very unusual thing today. Sure. Um, and uh, I spent a short time in Connecticut when I was a teenager, and then back to New York after I finished college, and I've been in, living in Manhattan since 1978. Okay. So how does... Uh, all of that, that history, how does that um, influence your writing? Well, uh, first of all, it influenced the choice of the venue of where uh, my novels take place. All three of my novels take place in Manhattan. Uh, two of them, both forgiving books, take place in Washington Heights. And Stealing a Summer's Afternoon takes place on the Upper West Side and in Washington Heights. And I lived on the Upper West Side before uh, I lived in Washington Heights. Um, I wanted to write about Washington Heights for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, I found it to be a very interesting place because it, it has this very large and entrenched Dominican community, which is the largest Dominican diaspora community in the world. Um, and I became involved in this community when I moved up there, in addition to which I had a personal connection to the Dominican Republic because my uncle, my, actually my grandfather's brother, my great uncle, uh, when he escaped Europe in 1940, when he was running from the Nazis, he became a refugee in the Dominican Republic and lived there. So the story that I wanted to tell related both to the neighborhood that I live in now, Washington Heights, and the experience that my uncle had being a refugee in the Dominican Republic in 1940. Excellent, excellent. Um, how do you write? Is it... Uh uh, is it an early morning situation? Do you write at night? Or do you write on the six train? What are we talking about? Well, it's interesting because I think like most writers, I'm kind of a creature of habit. Yeah. So I get up every morning very early. I get up at 520, mm -hmm. and then I head over to the gym where I meet my best friend, and we work out for about an, an hour and a half, two hours every day. When I get back, I have breakfast. And uh, after breakfast, I shower, and then I sit down to write. Now, my writing schedule is actually sort of concentrated on Mondays and Thursdays, uh, because on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, I have I actually work as a physical trainer okay. uh, in a gym in the morning, and then I work for a magazine in the afternoon, where I write articles for a, a business magazine. So. Um, I, I do most of my I used to write every morning right. before I uh, took this job at the magazine, and I used to see the clients in the afternoon, but now, I, I, so I have to segregate my time. I do most of my writing on Monday and on Thursday uh, between about 9 o'clock in the morning and 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But the most interesting thing about this is that on Mondays, I also have alternate side of the street parking because I live in <laughs> Manhattan. 
So I have to, at 11 o'clock, I have to move my car from one side of the street to the other because that's the day. And I get the best two hours of my week are sitting in that car. I have no no problem riding there and I have no interruptions. So I do my best riding from 11 to 1 on Mondays while I sit in the car. So how do you ride? Do you ride on a laptop? uh, Laptop. laptop, I've always written on a laptop. And what's interesting is that uh, with my first with my first manuscript, which was not my first published book, was actually my second published book, which is called Stealing a Summer's Afternoon, which is very, very different from my Forgiving uh, series. It is, uh, it's actually a caper. It's not a murder mystery. Um, that, when I wrote that book, I did it on a computer, but I printed out everything mm. and I edited it on paper. Okay. I no longer do that. I am com- when it comes to writing, I am completely paperless. That's I edit everything on, on my computer. Uh, I don't see the need for um, for printing out and crossing out and highlighting. It just doesn't work for me anymore, and I feel very environmentally good about that. <laughs> I've seen. I've done the transfer from uh, on page to uh, uh, to just online, which is. It took a while. Oh, it does. It takes a while because you feel like you want the paper, but you know what? You don't need the paper, and it's a great, it's a, it's a great and very, very clean transition. Now, to follow up on that, how do you avoid rewriting a paragraph endlessly? Because you know, okay. digitally, you can, right? All right. So, uh, I think that that's a novice's mistake. Mm-hmm. And with experience, one of the things that I learned was that the best thing to do is to sit down and just write the book. Uh, You're going to go back and you're going to edit and you're going to rewrite, and that's normal. You should not get um, caught up in the... Uh, this loop of constantly rewriting and not moving on until the chapter is perfect. I know a guy who is writing, we're going to put it in quotes, a memoir, because I'm not sure why anyone would have interest in reading his story. This guy has, he has been writing the same chapter for 12 years. He has gone to innumerable workshops. He's been at Gotham, he's been at the Writers, something or other. And he just keeps, he has writing teachers, he just keeps writing the same two or three or four chapters. And that's, you're never gonna finish if you do that. You have to write out the whole thing. What I tend to do is, first of all, I have a running, I have a running list of comments that I make at the, on the last page of the file so that I can always go back and either add or eliminate to these as I use these in the story. Mm-hmm. In addition to which, I'm going to go back and I'm gonna make corrections later and I'm gonna fix things later. You know, someone once told me, and to a great extent it's true, when I first started writing, that for the most part, with every novel you write, you're gonna be able to sort of throw out the first chapter. Right. And in, in the final in the final analysis, and in my experience, that's pretty much been true. That um, there's a lot of stuff, if not the whole chapter, that comes out of the first chapter because it it's so seminal, and you're kind of thinking about it at that time, and things change as you go along. Right. Um, one of the things that uh, uh, I tell my students all the time is, you got to write the first draft, and you got to let it suck. Yes, yes, right? yes. You gotta let it suck. And then. It, they like, well, what, what am I going to do? Just go back and let it make it suck less. <laughs> right? okay, the idea so of rewriting, right? Let, let me comment about that. First of all, what I tell writers, particularly you know, new writers who have not published, I tell them, you need to get to the final two words, the end. And until you've typed the end, 
You're not a writer. Don't go back. You have to, don't go back. Just do it. Now, what's interesting about this is that um, it depends on a, a number of things. First of all, uh, I don't outline. I have a general idea in my head of what I want the story to be, and I write it out, and I let the story develop. I let the characters tell me the story. When I get to the end, and, I, and oftentimes I think it's terrible, and I, and I say, this is crap, and what I do is, and I think this is critically important, is I take the file and I put it away. It's called putting it in the drawer. Mm -hmm. And I, for a minimum of three months, mm -hmm. three to four months, and then I come back and I reread it without making any changes except for typos. And I just read through the entire manuscript and then I see how I feel about it. Usually, more often than not, except in one case, I am delighted with what I thought was garbage. Now, um, then I'll go back and I, and I start fixing it. And, and in the first edit, I don't necessarily make huge changes. What I do is I make notes within the manuscript of what needs to be fixed. Like, you know, get this first part of the chapter out or rewrite this first part of the chapter. It's really not until the third reread, read through, that I start making actual changes. That can be additions or subtractions. But that period of time when you put it away is very important because it gives you perspective. So then the question becomes, so what am I supposed to do if I don't work on this for three months? The answer is very simple. Start the next book. Yeah, start the next book. You want to be able to have the time away from it so that you can see the forest for the trees. And exactly. you can see it for what it is. Exactly. Yeah. I just, uh, I finished the, pre the pre preliminary draft for the third forgiving uh, uh novel, which is called Forgiving Stephen Redman, I finished that, oh, some months ago, about three, four months ago, and I just read through the manuscript. I finished the read-through last week, and it took me about four or five days to read through it, and I loved it. And I, and it's funny, because I got a phone call from a friend as I was nearing the end, and I said to her, I have to call you back in about ten minutes, as I'm almost done with reading through this, and she said, well, how is it? And I said, fabulous. <laughs> you know, which is a good thing, you know, rather That's than it stinks. The one time that I did didn't like it was a ridiculously long manuscript. It was 550 pages, and I don't like to. I don't. My books are usually around 350 pages, and this was just way too long. And it also the structure of it was very different than anything I had written before. It was told linearly in a chronological sequence, and I was very, very unhappy with it because it reminded me of a book that I had read some years before that I hated. And so, uh, you know, after I read it through that first time, I put it down for a month and didn't go back to it and thought about how I could fix it. Okay. And then afterwards, I rewrote the entire thing, restructured the entire thing. And was it uh, screen, uh, Screenwriter's Boot Camp, or Writer's Boot Camp was a workshop I went to, and the, their tagline was, um, the secret to writing is rewriting. You know, you have to be able to embrace that. Well, I think a it's A lot of young writers don't. It's more than just a rewriting. You have to. You, there's another. There's another component to this, which is really important. You're not going to do this with the first draft. You're going to do it with the first decent draft. Mm -hmm. You need a beta group, right. and that beta group has can't be just people who you know who are going to say, "Gee, what a great book you wrote." They have to be people who are going to be incredibly uh, critical of your work, and some of them should be people in writing, other authors, uh, reviewers, people, editors. Uh, who read your book and who are honest with you and tell you what's not working, not what is working. And if you can't handle the criticism, then I hate to say this, you're never going to ever get anywhere as a writer. So let's say you have, uh, what, four, five beta readers, right? And 
all, let's say five, and all five say something, you take it seriously. Oh, yeah. What do you do if, like, two of the five are, are saying something? Oh, I, I have to weigh that. So that's an interesting question because I've been in that situation. First of all, I have, I have two groups of eight. Oh, okay, great. So there's a first group and then there's a second group who read it after the first group, the changes I made from the first group, and then I give it to the second group. Okay. Then, of the two groups, I pick out a few for the third read-through. So, um, it depends. I have to give thought to who they are, what what it is they're saying, and why they may view it that way, versus what my readership is. Right. But uh, you know, I, the easy one is if all of them are saying something. If everyone says the same thing, then I know I have a problem. Right. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you don't realize you you have a problem because you just it didn't occur to you, you know, and, or, or you're assuming. A lot of times it's like you're assuming other people have a certain amount of foreknowledge that you have. Right. Remember, th this plays out in your head, and you know what's going to happen. You know the character. Other people don't know the character. You have to you have to, to make them familiar with the character. So that kind of thing, yeah, everyone will recognize the same thing. Sometimes two people or three people out of eight will say, I didn't like this one particular thing. And you have to gauge it, and you have to say, okay, there's a reason for that, and it's a valid reason, or that's peculiar to that reader, and not everyone's going to like what I write. And that's critical as well, and you have to have a, I don't want to say a tough hide, you just, what you have to have because of the agents and the publishers, but in terms of readers, you have to understand that not everyone is going to like your work. And that's okay. You know, uh, with my first novel, uh, Forgiving Maximal Rothman, I, the book did very well. I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back, but it, it, it was nominated for an award completely unexpectedly. It won the silver medal for the National Jewish Book Award for Outstanding Debut Fiction in 2013. And um, it, it was very well uh, received by readers, and I had literally dozens of excellent four- and five-star reviews on Amazon. And one day I check in. Actually, I get a call from the publisher, and he's all rattled because someone put up a one-star review, and we had to figure out a way to get it out of there. I'm like, first of all, it's one star, it's one review. Don't worry about it. And the guy's only comment was, "I didn't like this book. It was boring." Okay, you but know what? It, the, the, it happens. The, the thinking is, if you have one of those, it makes everything else more legit. Well, you know, his problem was that the, that Amazon shows you the top review and the bottom review so he doesn't want anybody to see the bottom review so that's just ridiculous it's one review if there is if there are 80 other reviews that are fantastic reviews people are going to say oh this guy just didn't like the book and you have to accept that and i'll give you a, probably a better example i have an old friend who lives out in um in uh, california in uh, palm springs and really she's a very very good friend and has been for you know over 30 years and she had to admit to me that she couldn't read past about page 10 on my first book. And she, I understood why. And it's that it wasn't her kind of book. Right. She just doesn't, it was a historical mystery. And it just was not something that she was going to get into. She, she's somebody who likes, you know, Jacqueline Suzanne. Right. And this was not Jacqueline Suzanne. So... You know, you have to accept that as a writer that not everybody's going to love what you write. That's okay. I want to go back. You mentioned briefly, well, before we interviewed in prep, uh, you mentioned that you were completely a pantser. And you made kind of a, a reference to that as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, 
One of the things I find very interesting with, with, with pantsers is, okay, you're a pantser when you're writing. When pantser, for those who are listening and don't know, means you don't outline. But how long do you walk around thinking about the book before you start? Well, it depends. You know, I would say that for my first, my, my debut novel, I thought about it a long time until I actually sat down and wrote it. But once you write the first novel and you get the first novel out there, well, it's time to write the second novel and get that out there. So you don't have as much time, you know, to just sort of wander around thinking about it. You have to get it going. I, 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 my problem with outlining is that it's too formulaic. Mm. And my style of writing is more dependent on character. So it's the, it's, the, it's the characters who are important to the story. The story is important. The plot is important. But it's, I want the reader to experience what the character is feeling. So I'm really writing character. And with that, the reader, the, rather the character, has to tell me how the story is unfolding and what they're thinking. So um, I, I do think about it, and I think about it before and during and after the writing process. Often, like if I'm sitting on the subway going downtown, which I try to do less and less, um, <laughs> I will think about the story and where it's going and the character, and that helps me. But I can't write an outline. I, I, I was wow. never able to do that. So I sit down at the computer, and I say, okay, for the next two hours, this is what you're doing, and you're just going to get it out there. And I get let myself, I let myself sort of sort of dive into it, and I'm in that world. Now, what I will tell you is interesting about that, is that in uh, in Forgiving Mariella Camacho. And I'm not giving away too much by telling you this. There is a serial killer, and the serial killer's pa uh, chapters are written in the first person, okay. which put me very deep into the head of the serial killer. And normally, I can sit down and write for anywhere from two to three hours. When I wrote those chapters, the limit was about an hour and 20 minutes, and I had to stop because I was terrified at myself that this could come out of my head. So, um, I, I, do I think about it? Yeah, I think about it, but I don't walk around for a year and think about it before I write it. I, because that, you might as well just write an outline. Right. I, I sort of come up with a general idea of a story that I don't know what, what, what I want to have happen, and I have a general idea about the characters, and then I sit down and I just start writing. Okay, so... Uh, where can people find your books? You can find my books primarily online, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and various other online, um, uh, what do you call them? Online, you know, places where you would buy books. Booksellers, online booksellers. Uh, I am in some bookstores. Uh, I couldn't tell you offhand which ones. Right. Uh, it depends. You know, some books. Bookstores are very funny. You know. Um, since I'm not Stephen King, uh, they don't put me on a table with of my own in the front of the store. Sure. I'm under S in on the bookshelves, and you have to go and find me. So, um, while well, bookstores are great, and I love it when they carry my books, primarily you can find me on on uh, Amazon, and it's under A. J. Sadransky. And uh, the, my debut novel was Forgiving Maximo Rothman, and the. Uh, the, the, the sequel to that, the first sequel, is Forgiving Mariella Camacho. Both are available online. Uh, as I mentioned, Forgiving uh, Maximo Rothman was uh, selected 
for Outstanding Debut Fiction by the National Jewish Book Awards, and um, Forgiving Mariella Camacho won the David Award uh, two years ago from uh, this conference where we are today, from Deadly Inc. And uh, my second book, which actually came out in between the two, Stealing a Summer's Afternoon, was selected as best second novel by um, the Next Generation Indie Book Awards in 2014, I think it was, and it's also available uh, online. Uh, I am currently working on uh, several things. Uh, my next book out will be, uh, is titled The Interpreter, and I'm expecting to publish that in 2019, probably in May or June. And that is a thriller set just after and during World War II in Europe. Okay. And I've, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm almost done and will soon have a finished uh, draft for Forgiving Stephen Redmond, which will tie up the rest of the loose ends from Forgiving Ma- uh, Maxima Rothman and Forgiving Mariella Camacho. Uh, then I'm working on a new series, which is called The Pass, and it's set in El Paso and Ciudad Juarez, and it's also a, a detective duo uh, who uh, are investigating a, the murder of a Border Patrol uh, agent. Which is actually based on, very loosely based on a real case that happened, uh, I think, last in 2017 in uh, in El Paso. Wow. So uh, I'm very excited about that. and um, I'm Plenty to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Well, AJ, I appreciate it. AJ Sedransky again. Yes. Thank you for your thank time. Thank you so much. And thank thanks you for so telling much. the damn story. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care.